Hi, I'm Mark Ramsey, Executive Director of the Ministry Collaborative. And I'm Jennifer Watley-Maxell, the Program Curator for the Ministry Collaborative. Obviously, we are living in a time of seismic shifts. And these podcasts are often recorded ahead of time. These recordings took place before the most recent painful and poignant examples of racial injustice in our society. The Ministry Collaborative seeks to promote and nurture deep and searching conversations about God's activity in the world and our place in it. And so with all that, we commend this podcast to you. Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative podcast, a series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. I'm Adam Mixon, content curator. I'm Adam Borneman, program director. I'm Jennifer Maxell, program curator. And I'm Mark Ramsey, executive director of the Ministry Collaborative. A project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation, the Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Every day, we are inspired by ministry leaders from across the country who are exploring possibilities, learning from broad perspectives, taking risks, and who are eager to join candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. Hi, friends. This is Adam Borneman with the Ministry Collaborative Podcast and I have the pleasure of being with Reverend Katie Hayes today. Katie is a member of our Fort Worth, Texas cohort, just a really great person to have kind of in our network and on the ground doing ministry. She's the lead evangelist at Galileo Church, and I look forward to hearing more about that. She's also the author of We Were Spiritual Refugees, A Story to Help You Believe in Church. Katie, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Katie, so I want to jump right into that. Can you say a little bit more about who you are and um, what Galileo Church is and anything else connected to that that would be worth sharing with us today? Sure. I've been a pastor for over a quarter century, and the first two decades of that I spent in small, solo pastor, traditional congregations. And seven years ago, almost, I left my last traditional congregation and planted Galileo Church in sort of the suburban outskirts of Fort Worth, and specifically thinking about Galileo Church as one of the places that the wider church is exploring the spiritual but not religious frontier, seeking spiritual refugees, people who, for whatever reason, aren't in traditional church, thinking a lot about millennials, especially at that time, the generation of very young adults (laughs) who just weren't repopulating the pews of often the churches they were raised in. I mean, here in the Bible Belt, almost nobody didn't grow up going to church mm. of some kind at some time. Uh, Galileo Church is just the outgrowth of that. It's a it's a research and development project on behalf of the wider church in this sort of cultural apocalypse we're all trying to survive through. Like, what does it mean to form a community of belonging in Jesus' name that fits better for the next generation and the next? What's been most life-giving to you about your experience with Galileo? Hmm. I sometimes am embarrassed by how self-indulgent this project is. I didn't know that's what it would be. I'm also a little embarrassed to say I kind of started the project with the idea that there were people out there who needed something from me. And if I could leverage some of my experience and connections and stuff like that, I could sort of offer them this good thing I know about, this gospel, this way of being, this way of following Jesus. And then I discovered that Jesus actually had been out on the outskirts 
outside the church, outside the camp, outside the city for a really long time. I wasn't actually bringing Jesus to anyone. Jesus was alive and well with people who had been rejected by the traditional church uh, where I built my career. So it's been amazing to um, find these incredible expressions of faith among people who just don't in any way fit the conventions of what I thought church people should look like. I recently read your book, We Were Spiritual Refugees, mm-hmm. and one of the things that really stood out to me about Galileo Church and your ministry there is that it truly is an alternative place of belonging that nevertheless has connections to the past. It has some sense of rootedness, but is not beholden to it. Mm-hmm. This is in some ways describing the way that Galileo Church kind of forges a third space or a new space. If the sin of the conserving church is that they asked us to believe too much, that is to pull out the Jenga block of the virgin birth and the whole doctrinal tower comes tumbling down, maybe the sin of the liberating, parentheses, North American Protestant, mostly white church, the sin of the liberating church is that they made God boring as hell. Boring in the polite orderliness of the liturgy, the state hymns of sameness, and yes, in the deathly tedium of preaching, quote, God's really nice and you should be too, is one way to sum up the kind of preaching a lot of us endured. Yeah. <laughs> I love that paragraph so much. Um, <laughs> could you say more about that? <laughs> sure. I have lived both of those experiences. I grew up in what I call a fundagelical church, <laughs> as did so many people. I mean, culturally, if you go to church in Texas, that's the kind of church you likely grew up in. And and yeah, we were asked to believe too much. There was too much certainty. So that if the certainty began to fade for you, or if a college course in, you know, cosmology or any science, you know, started to chip away at any of that, the wall just came tumbling down. I mean, it was scary and sad. So I lived the grief of that kind of deconstruction. And then I found a gracious, new, beautiful home in a mainline denomination that I'm forever grateful to. It, it saved my life, that institution. But I, I was disappointed to find that by the time I sort of started swimming in the mainline waters, uh, those churches were in survival mode and just sort of saying to each other again and again, why isn't this working? Why isn't it working? And uh the traditional churches I served in my denomination, it was, you know, one of the most discouraging feelings in the world was to go to the sanctuary on Monday morning to kind of tidy up after Sunday worship and find all the bulletins, all the uh, orders of worship where people had just checked off one thing at a time, each hymn, each prayer, each announcement. And you knew that they were just sort of waiting to get to the end. Like, here, we're just doing this thing we got to do and we're just ready to get it over with. And that's just sad to me. That's just sad. Wow. Say more about your book. So that's one thing that I really enjoyed about it was that you take that idea and you really advance it forward in some beautiful ways. What are some other things that you'd want people to know about your writing and what you're trying to communicate um, with your book or with any other avenues that you're exploring? Sure. There are several things about Galileo Church that are surprising to people who might think they sort of know what projects like this are about. Uh, One thing is that doing a a next church project like Galileo Church, as opposed to now church, is not just a shift in aesthetics. A lot of my colleagues sometimes just assume that we traded an organ for a guitar and we traded a stained glass for a sheet metal barn and that's where the differences stop. It's just, it's hipper, it's cooler, it's whatever. There are aesthetic changes for sure, but I wouldn't say that that's mainly what people 
receive at Galileo Church and find to be beautiful about it. The aesthetic changes, I think, are really signaling something that has happened on a much deeper level of infrastructure in terms of how people relate to each other and the ways that we're talking with each other. The expectation that uh, when you're with this church, we're actually doing life together. We don't just go to church. We don't just show up there. There is that kind of litany in some churches where you, you show up on Sunday morning in a special set of clothing that marks this time is different from all other times. And you show up and someone meets you at the door and they say, hey, how are y'all? And you say, I'm fine. How are y'all? And that might be the limit of conversation that day, because now you move into the sanctuary, we all face forward and go through the motions together, and then we're done. If you're lucky, maybe you have a couple friends in that church, maybe you go out for lunch for a Sunday lunch after, but that might be the extent of it. What might it look like, though, if community began to actually form where people were doing life together in significant ways, day to day to day, so that Sunday becomes more of a a kind of pivot point in the week where we move from last week to next week, imagining again what God has in mind for us all together in this world that God still loves and where we are deeply engaged. I love that image. And as I read your book, what's so intriguing to me is that you really convey that in a narrative, mm-hmm. uh, which was kind of surprising to me. But as I got into it, I realized how instructive that was. Mm. I'm wondering about that narrative and your experience with Galileo Church, what do you think about it is most instructive for people who might be exploring new forms of ministry? I'm careful not to say just church planting, because I don't want to be too narrow with that, but for people who are moving into new expressions of ministry in the 21st century, Mm -hmm. what do you hope your book communicates to them or helps them explore? Well, the narrative mode is definitely intentional. For one thing, I needed, with that project of writing the book, to tell the story of Galileo to myself. (laughs) I needed to take some time and really reflect on what had been happening for the five years where I had been running 100 miles an hour, seven days a week. It was a very intense period of my life, so it was very nice to to stop long enough to reflect on it. But the, the narrative is also purposeful rhetorically in that it enforces, I hope, that I think communities of belonging, churches and otherwise, in the late modern moving to postmodern period are going to be radically contextual. So, And the contextuality is just so deeply specific to where I am and when I am and where and when these people are that, you know, now have gathered together. And that, it just must be true. I think the idea that we've got plans and outlines and steps to follow to plant a new community in a new place is absurd. (laughs) That's really helpful. Thanks. We are in the context right now for everybody is a pandemic. I've heard. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if you knew that. If this interview is the first time you're made aware of that, we can talk about that. Oh, no. Which is um, really opening our eyes to so many things, many of which Mm -hmm. were already happening before the pandemic. It's Mm -hmm. exposing a lot of things, good and bad. What are you seeing right now and what are you learning that you're finding particularly helpful? One of the great joys for Galileo Church, and in particular people who have been with it for a few years, is how things that we were doing one year, two years, five years ago uh, are paying dividends now. And I mean dividends that are deeply meaningful, spiritual, community building, so important to us. So practices that we began in years past now are carrying us through this period. So it's been less for us about learning new 
things altogether and more about just learning some new modes to do the things we already know how to do. And I feel so relieved about that. It's such a vindication in a way that, oh my gosh, we worked so hard on these things for so long. And and look now, it's as if we were being prepared for this exact moment. So for example, our conversation about live streaming worship began in early 2019, and we talked about live streaming worship for 10 months, hard conversations about what it means to put worship on a screen, about implicitly what kind of relationship we're offering to people when we do that, because I don't think worship happens without relationship. So if that's true, then how do we express and just reinforce and encourage all the time this idea that we mean to be connected with people who are worshiping with us that way for pastoral care? What does that look like? And how do we make it beautiful? Because we're quite, quite committed to this idea that the church ought to be propagating beauty. We ought to be doing beauty with and for our God who has such an aesthetic sensibility that aesthetics is ethics in a way. So how do we do it beautifully? All of these questions we've been asking for so long. So when we started live streaming in Advent 1, 2019, when pandemic hit in March, uh, the Ides of March, March 15 is the first Sunday that people didn't come and we did it online and uh, we were ready. Thanks be to God. So we weren't scrambling to get the technicalities of it right. Then it was a matter of, okay, how do we maintain these relationships? What are we going to do now to maintain infrastructure for these relationships that are saving our lives? And we just, we pivoted to a bunch of things that just made that work. About practices that have carried you all through, in Mm -hmm. addition to the one you just shared with us, Mm -hmm. you said that Galileo Church is this place that is intentionally radically contextual Mm -hmm. and focused on belonging and Mm -hmm. things like that. How has that changed or adapted to where we are right now? Yeah, I can give you a great example of that. So I sort of froze for about a week when we couldn't all gather in person anymore. I'm just such a believer in the embodied church that being together and Uh, face-to-face, body-to-body, arm-to-arm is important. So I froze for a bit, and I saw my colleagues going online on Facebook Live and stuff to do like devotional thoughts with Father so-and-so or prayer time with Reverend so-and-so, and I couldn't muster it, couldn't figure it out. And then I realized that our church already has a practice of spiritual intentionality, a practice of narrating our own spiritual flourishing. We've been doing it for seven years The practice is that at the beginning of worship, every single week, uh, we ask a query, an old question people of faith have been asking each other for a long time. We have a set of four queries that we rotate through week to week. We stole some from the Quakers. We've used others. How goeth it with thy soul is one. What is your body saying to your spirit tonight is another. So I went on Marco Polo, which is a social media app I had not used before. And I went on there and I recorded a query one morning. And I said, if you want to answer this query, just jump on here and push that out through Facebook and some other ways. People jumped on. We've got dozens of people now in this query. Every single morning, about 930, I ask a query, maybe one of the ones we've done before and lots and lots of new ones. And then people get on through the day. And because of that, they've been thinking through practices of gratitude, of honesty, truth telling, of lament, of rejoicing of honoring memories, of hope for the future, all these practices that we're doing, and then narrating it to each other with no crosstalk, no argument, just the narration of your own experience of spiritual flourishing or spiritual languish, whatever it is. And so there's a practice that we've been doing for years already, listening to the voices of each other in our church, narrating ourselves to each other 
and it's lovely and it's carrying us through and it's deepening relationships that people who are on the fringes of the church have moved near to the center because now we're sharing in this vulnerable and weighty kind of way. And they're not waiting for me to have a word of wisdom every single day. Mm. Thanks be to God. I'm so glad to not be in that role. (laughs) So glad. What are you hopeful about right now? Oh, so many things. I am hopeful that as our current situation exposes things in our culture and in our church, some that were working before and some that are not working, I'm hopeful that the church in North America, let's say the mostly white mainline Protestant church, which is the one I know, that's the one I want to speak about because it's the one I know. I'm hopeful that the church will be light enough on its feet to actually uh, meet this cultural apocalypse, which is was happening long before the pandemic and will keep going after we have a vaccine. Uh, and by that, I mean the fracturing of our communities, the skepticism around institutions, which is right and good. A lot of our institutions have got to clean up their act and remember again what they meant to do. And if the church can, having let go of a lot of its own baggage, having cleaned off its own calendar so that it's not so wrapped up in its own activities, filling its own pews and just generating, just ginning up more and more and more busyness for the people who are already here. If all that stuff having been stripped away makes us light enough to pivot now toward the deep, deep hunger and the deep, deep hurt and the deep isolation and loneliness that was true already before we all stayed home. It was already true. I'm hopeful that the church will have some role in the healing of those things for each other and for our neighbors. Amen. If you'd like to hear Katie reflect more on these sort of themes, I'd love to recommend um, that everyone pick up her book, We Were Spiritual Refugees, a story to help you believe in church. Katie, thank you so much. Thanks, Adam. What a good conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. Our producer is Marthame Sanders. To find out more about us and our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org. 